Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here and RJ Barrett with the game winner to lift the Knicks over the Celtics. 25-point comeback. The Knicks win 108-105 to at the buzzer. Gavin, this was one of the most exhilarating Knicks wins I can remember in a very long time. Game of the season. I didn't realize this, Alex. First buzzer beater in nine years for the New York Knicks. So we'll talk about that. The implications for the team. Evan, don't Google Fournier. Uh, the biggest game of his life. Uh, Sands French national team. 41 points, 10 threes. Just ridiculous. We'll get into all that. Julius Randle, an imperfect but ballsy effort. Emmanuel quickly making big plays down the stretch. Mitchell Robinson as well. So much to talk about the win of the season for the New York Knicks, and it all starts right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, left. Now fires it. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. It means so much that you come to us for you know your first podcast, whether it's uh, in your ears, just you know through your favorite podcasting platform, or through YouTube, where we are now. Uh, Applying our trade over video, you can you can see uh, our beautiful faces every day. You can see my cool Japanese Knicks hoodie today. It's one of my favorites. Uh, but yeah, thank you for that. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And he is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. About to do, let's see if I remember from the time you said it, Hoopal? Yeah, Correct. you nailed it. There you go. Yes. Yep. So the Hoop Hall tournament, uh, high school, big high school basketball tournament. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and of course, we're bearing the lead here under first listens and introductions. The Knicks win 108 to 105 over the Boston Celtics. And RJ Barrett hits his first game winner. Uh, and the first buzzer beater for a Nick since J.R. Smith's back to back ones. In the fabled 12-13 season, I still remember those like they were yesterday, Gavin, The uh, against the Hornets and then against the Suns in yeah. back-to-back games. And Carmelo Anthony was out. It was it was wild times back then with JR the sixth man and Mike Woodson and all that. And it was the first buzzer beater at MSG since David Lee in, I think, 2006. That's insane. So, yeah. It's what a cursed been... franchise. Oh, my God. Yeah. 17 a... years. Yeah, it's only been a cool 15, 16-ish years since the last buzzer beater in Madison Square Garden. And RJ Barrett gets it. And what a what a great moment for the kid. Uh I <laughs> I made this joke. Uh I did our Locked On Today podcast, which check that out if uh if you guys haven't already. It's like our our answer to Sports Center, hosted by Peter Bukowski, where he talks to different hosts from you know around sports around the Locked On Network to kind of catch up on all the sports. 
The Knicks were down 25 to the Celtics and somehow managed to come back and win this game. And I said the Knicks basically found one of the only teams in the league that could Knicks worse than them because there was no way that the Celtics should have lost this game. They were in command. They couldn't miss in the first half. They made like every three-pointer they took. I think they finished the second quarter eight for nine or something like that. Uh, And then the Knicks just kind of started chipping away a little bit here and there. It looked pretty bleak about midway through the third quarter. And then all of a sudden the Knicks go on a little run. By the time that it hits the third quarter break, I think they were down seven at that point. Um, Or maybe it was still 10. But either way, you know, they kind of chipped it down to a respectable number. And then they come all the way back in the fourth quarter, uh, obviously behind some great shot making by Evan Fournier. Julius Randle really turning it on the second half. And Gavin, I'll throw it to you, the fantastic play of R.J. Barrett, not even just in that final shot, but after a pretty shaky game overall, he really came through for the Knicks late in this game. Absolutely. I mean, I I was just going to say in regards to the end, I was so certain the Knicks were going to blow this game. I knew RJ was going to miss one of those two free throws. I was so confident Randall was going to miss one of those two free throws. I'm sure you and everyone watching knew with 100% certainty that Jason Tatum would make that shot. It went in, and I was like, all right, here we go. This is this is karma for the Knicks beating the Celtics in double OT. The first time these two teams met, it's going to go to overtime. The Knicks are going to run out of energy. The Celtics are going to finally make some shots. They're going to find a way to win. And then R.J. Barrett, man, the, the, the shot of the century, what, one of my, I, quickly, one, one of my all-time favorite Knicks moments, um, incredible. And, and I just wanted to say big picture sense, this was this is what this 2022 Knicks team needed, right? They needed a shot of life, a reason for optimism, a reason for happiness. Because there's just been so much negativity. Even when they were coming back in this game, we had, and we can get to this later, we had Julius Randle giving a thumbs down to the crowd, and uh, we we can talk about what his explanation for that was post game. But the vibes were like still like a little iffy, but then they kept coming back, kept coming back, felt better and better and better. And RJ made that shot. And to your point, one of multiple plays he made down the stretch, uh, a really big moment was when he got Robert Williams on a switch, took him to the rim, and then a lob, a hook pass up to Mitchell Robinson. And it, it, it's continued a recent theme for RJ really looking for Mitch. And it was just a ballsy pass. It's not an easy play to make over a seven-footer with insane hops. And RJ threw it and hit it. And then, of course, that uh, that play where Fournier had the ball tipped away by Marcus Smart with about 45 seconds left. RJ gets it back, drives into the hoop, kick out to IQ. IQ, head of steam, sprints in, floater, just a heads up, quick thinking play from RJ Barrett. And, and then the the one where he drew the foul, to your point, only, only made one or two free throws, but I, you know, I'll, I'll throw it to you because I, you, you had you had some good points on that when we were talking about it pre-show. Yeah, I mean, so I just thought that RJ did so many great things to end this game. Like the, the first, I think where it all started was the lob to Mitch, which ties the game. But then after that, then he also uh, throws it out to Emmanuel quickly, who had it out the three-point line, puts it on the floor, gets inside, makes a key bucket there. I mean, I just thought that RJ was doing all the right things. You know, it was, it was nice. Like, and even the one play, you know, where he managed to draw the free throws, which of course he only made one of two, to go in on Robert Williams at this stage of the game after he's been eating RJ's lunch all game. I mean, what did Williams end up with? Seven blocks for the game? 
was something it? like that. Yeah, I, it was he, a lot. I mean, he finished the game with yeah seven blocks. Seven blocks, yeah. And I think about four or five of those were on RJ Barrett, and the other two were on Alec Burks. Those were like, like Robert Williams was a was an RJ Atarian in this game. Like he just ate RJ up all game on the inside, and it was just like his his ability there to to stop RJ was. I, I think RJ thought that he had like shot blocking centers figured out after working Turner over in the last game so much. And then realized that Williams is a different breed. Like Williams is more like Mitch. He's like the bouncy pogo stick leg center that is getting a lot better with timing. And, you know, is all about just kind of like, you know, coming in at the last possible second when you think you're safe and annihilating your shot. Whereas Turner is more of like a timing guy. You know, that's he doesn't get up super high for his blocks. He's just so good at getting his arm in the right place at the right time. Um, so I don't think RJ was quite ready for that. But the the stones that he had on him to get inside on Robert Williams on a on an ISO or like on not quite an ISO, but he, he had a path to the hoop with nothing but Robert Williams between him and the hoop uh, late in this game. And to sort of take him one on one and attempt Honestly, a pretty similar move to my favorite one that he busted out on Turner. Yeah, in the in the last game, you know, sort of the stop, quick pivot, and then you know up and under sort of move, and draw a foul out of that was just. I mean, first off, like I said, the stones it takes to do that is crazy. But then the fact that he managed to pull it off and at least get the free throws out of it was so clutch of him. So like, as great as the final shot was, I think that the Knicks really owe pretty much the 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 whole, you know, lead up to that shot to RJ as well in many ways um, for how well he played, you know, orchestrating things down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, it was in, in a game where he did not shoot the ball. Well, I love that. And and we were talking about, you, you were talking about this a little bit the other day, how just calm he is in post game interviews where he just, he doesn't really get unbalanced. And I think that's, that's what we see from him on the court. And, and it's, a, it's a credit to him. Like he doesn't, he genuinely like players talk about this all the time, but I think it's true for very few guys. He genuinely doesn't let what happens earlier in the game affect him later in games or he, I'm not, or at least he didn't tonight. Right. He was, he was just as confident as ever, just as aggressive as he needed to be. And ultimately that's what the Knicks need from RJ Barrett, right? The shooting at, at least at this point in his career is going to come and go, but if he can play with that mentality every single night. And to your point, not necessarily about his scoring, just about his willingness to attack the rim and then just make the right play. Um, the Knicks are a different team when they're getting that. All right. Uh, let's, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and, and we'll talk about the legend that is don't Google. Um, but first let's, let's talk Shopify. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business so upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online, and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, this podcast started out selling. We, we, really, didn't, we really didn't have a lot when we first started, and today we, we have... Uh, all these incredible sponsors, including Shopify. And we're not stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever involving path. Like mine, Shopify powers millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. So you can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integration and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. 
this is possibly powered by shop excuse me this is possibility it's definitely powered by shopify go to shopify.com so that's locked on mba all lowercase for a free 14-day trial and get full access to shopify's entire suite of features Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash NBA Right now, shopify.com slash NBA. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks, and it's time to talk about Evan Fournier. Uh, I got the stat from friend of the show, former host of Locked On Nets, Marcus Bearhall. I didn't double-check it, so I hope he wasn't screwing with me. Apparently, the, the 69th. Uh, player in or 69 time in NBA history, a player has made 10 three pointers in a game. So that's that's a nice statistic for Very Evan nice. Fournier. Uh, 41 points for Fournier coming off of, if I'm remembering correctly, a scoreless game last time out against the Pacers. Uh, 41 points, eight rebounds, two assists, 15 of 25 from the field, 10 of 14 from three. They just kept getting more and more outrageous as the game went on. Alex, he loved like the left side of the court particularly that left corner, a couple falling out of bounds towards the final stretch. Um, Brian Anderson compared him to Steph Curry. He looked like Clay Thompson to me tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was exactly the, you know, that it's so funny that you say that because I made that exact comparison uh, on Locked On Today today also, you know, in the little segment I did with them. I said he was like, he looked, he went from nothing, us wanting to ship him to Siberia to, you know, Clay Thompson in a day. And I guess, you know, maybe this is just the Evan Fournier experience, but I think it's, you know, not to, not to like throw cold water on the whole thing. Right. But this is sort of like the problem with Fournier is that we're like, you never know what you're going to get. He's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, it's some nights he comes out and he looks like this unstoppable force of nature, like in this game. And then other nights, you know, you get like the, the Indiana game where he just looks completely helpless out there and like you can't make anything and it's you know i wish you could just find a happy middle ground i was saying before we started recording i wish you could find like like 75 percent of boston fournier you know just to play all the time and then he could go 100 percent world killer you know thanos level uh basketball threat against the celtics anytime he wants but you know just give us like 75 percent of that all the rest of the time and score like 18 points a game you know on decent efficiency or whatever because that's all we've ever wanted. You know, it's it's like, and instead it just seems to only come out against the Celtics for some reason. I think there was like a, a good old stat muse, uh, <laughs> click muse, you know, whatever. They put out a, a, a fun little stat on him. I'm trying to see if I can find it here because I'd seen a tweet. It was uh, about his, his shooting percentage against everybody and then against just the Celtics. Here it is. Uh, against the Celtics in three games this year, He's averaging 35 points per game with 6.7 three-pointers made, uh, 55.4% from the field, and 54.1% from three. <laughs> it's a joke. I, it's a, against it's every, a joke. It is. And against everybody else this year, he's averaging 11.7 points per game, 2.3 threes per game, 38.6% from the field, and 35.5% from three. So explain it. I I, I can't. I don't. I don't know what to. I don't know what it is about the about the Celtics that just makes him. Uh, I was gonna say see red, but like see green. Uh, maybe the Knicks just need to paint everybody's jerseys green, and that's that's the solution. <laughs> they they need to hire a hypnotist to convince him that every yeah. team he's playing is the Celtics. Um, I mean, if we want a silver lining, at least the next game is against the Celtics. There we so. go. <laughs> he's gonna bring that up to fifty points a game against the Celtics. Um, 
I, I will say one of my just one of my favorite things in the NBA, I mean, in, in basketball in general, is when someone gets scalding hot and then all four other guys on the court just make it their driving mission to get him the ball. I think that's what makes the Warriors so fun. Um, it's that they just treat Steph Curry like that every single game where you're going to just crazy contrivances. Like you're passing up open threes to dribble in and do like a reverse dribble handoff. But to me, that was fun. Uh, what was fun after the first quarter of this game where, where RJ was pushing on the break and looking for him with that play where IQ got him on the head ahead, like every single inbound, they were trying to, to find him on a little cut. Like RJ had this like great drive to make it uh, like, 93 to 90 where he went in and you could tell the whole time he was just trying to draw the defense to kick it out to Fournier. And I love when, when Fournier gets confident, just, just the calm that he plays with, right? Like he doesn't start like forcing things necessarily, but he was just pump faking and letting guys like time Lord fly by. Maybe my favorite shot of the game was the little step back he had on Al Horford, but the whole time, like he, he didn't look rushed. And normally it's so, I mean, to your point, that's usually what's so infuriating about Fournier. It's like, it's like, all right, where is the urgency, my guy? Come on. This is like, you're, you're getting paid a lot of money here. Let, let's figure this out. But when he's hitting everything, it looks just like masterful. Like he, like he's just figured out the game and no one can speed him up. No one can rush him. I've said it a million times when the shot is going in. Just one of the more gorgeous, technically sound releases in the NBA. I, I don't know how much more I can rave about him, but it was it was a picture perfect night. And I thought he, he had some really good moments defensively in this game too, particularly early on. Yeah, I thought so too. You know, I the the offense was just it, it was so smooth, you know, it was just everything that he did just he, I don't often get this feeling about him this year. And and it, it's fleeting with some of the other Knicks, but in this game, every single time he shot the ball, almost from the first shot, I was like, that's going in. And, you know, it just it just felt that way, you know, and you can tell when you watch these guys enough, like like we do. I mean, obviously, we have to watch pretty much every game, you know, to be able to do these podcasts and like, you know, he just had that that swagger about him, I guess, that that assuredness, you know, every time he shot the ball today and he doesn't often have that this year, you know, so often everything looks forced and like he's, you know, afraid to pull the trigger or he'll stop for a solid two seconds before getting into a shooting motion to think like, do I need to shoot this? Like, should I shoot this? Whatever today. I mean, there were so many times where he got the ball and he didn't even have an inch of space, but he was still like, well, if I got to fall out of bounds off my off foot to get this shot off, that's what I'm going to do. Cause I know that I have the ability to put this in the hoop today. So I hope that this ignited something for him. I hope maybe having two games in a row against the Celtics will be like the the elixir that he needs to, you know, find this in himself going forward. But, you know, I loved what I saw of him, all the shots. I mean, like you said, it's hard to even pick a favorite because there's so many absurd ones, you know, where he was just, I, I think all the corner ones were my favorite because it seemed like every single corner one, he was like leaning out of bounds, like <laughs> behind the hoop, like doing almost practically like a Larry bird shot, you know, like over the backboard, you know, from the, from the three corner there, it was just, obscene amounts of shot making in this game and so much fun to watch from a fan perspective. And uh, I just hope we get to see more of it is my main thing. But yeah, to your point too, on defense, he looked more engaged as well. And, you know, that's the other thing I guess with Fournier is that I'd love to see him look engaged on defense on games when his shot isn't going in. And it, it seems like everything around him relates to 
is the shot going in? And if the answer, it's like one of those flow charts, you know, where it's like, yeah, <laughs> is the shot going in? Yes. So yeah. then like, will you try it other things? Yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Or, or I guess the thing would be, will you try it other things other than scoring? And then it's like, is the shot going in? Yes or no. And then if like you hit no, then it's just no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. It's unequivocally. Yeah. I love him in a French accent thing. being like, I will not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I must be scoring. If <laughs> But at any rate, uh, what is the point of the rest of the game if the ball is not going in? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't have much of a French accent, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep working on it. If Evan promises to keep working on defense, there you go, and that's that's right. a good thing. And you know what? Uh, you guys listening could all be working on your wallets because I'll tell you what: a smart bet, whatever bet online sets the over for Evan Fournier's points in the next game, short of it being something obscene like twenty-eight or something like that. You could probably safely take the over as long as they put it at like 20 or so. Take the over on that because he's going to be facing the Celtics. And you you know you want to hit up Bet Online and win some money. And that's like super easy money. Bet Online also would like to wish you a happy betting new year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Gavin. So I'll uh, I'll throw it to you. Where do you want to head next? I get the feeling it's probably Julius Randle, but I'll give you a dealer's choice here. No, uh, it's it, it's a good feeling, Alex. I, I do I do want to talk about Julius Randle. Uh, mixed night for him, right? Started off zero for five. Um, I thought like a backbreaking moment early on was in the second quarter when the Celtics were just raining three after three after three. To your point, they started off that second quarter eight for nine from distance. And then Randall got a wide open look and it just went in and out. And to me, it felt like oh, they're just, this is going to be a blowout. We're going to go on later. We're going to be super duper depressed. And then Randall, to his credit, was the guy who got the Knicks going in that second quarter to some extent, right? He had, he had an elbow jumper, um, a crossover for a layup, then like a sprint across the lane for an and one floaters, eight straight points. Um, then defensively had his play of the game. Uh, deflected a Jalen Brown pass, led to RJ running ahead on the fast break, and he ended up hitting Evan Fournier for an in-rhythm three. And he he was sort of the reason that they were within striking distance coming into that third. And then you get to the third, and all of a sudden, he's like really struggling, like like forcing step backs. Um, and he, he had, I mean, a play that like we've seen from him all season, right, where he had a bad step back, kind of just lagged behind, didn't run back. Mitchell Robinson didn't realize that he he had to switch. Mitchell Robinson was still looking at Robert Williams, who Julius Randle was running with, and it led to Jalen Brown getting a wide-open layup. And then probably like the brain-dead play of the game when Marcus Smart got injured because RJ just elbowed him in the nose going up for a layup. And, and the Knicks had a five-on-four, and Randle, it's like he kind of short-circuited because he had both Mitchell and RJ wide open under the basket. And he just sort of sat there and waited and didn't pass it to either of them uh, before passing it to RJ way too late. And the Knicks somehow got a shot clock violation on a five on four, but then he, he makes up for it, right? Like a, like a sidestep three. Um, one of my 
favorite plays of the game. He got an offensive rebound and an IQ miss, like a hard rebound to or hard dribble rather to dislodge Grant Williams under the under the hoop, up and under layup to get it a little closer. Um, then down the stretch, like missed some big shots, made some big shots. Um, finally goes one for two from the foul line, like such a confusing game. I didn't even get into the thumbs down, Alex, but it was, I thought it was a weird night for Randall, but honestly, I was okay with it. I thought it was a ballsy night for Julius Randall because he just kept playing. And, and ultimately like given how everything has gone this year would have been very easy for the Knicks to give up in this game. And I thought Randall epitomized that even if it was imperfect, he, he did not give up. He kept fighting and it, it was enough for the Knicks to win. Yeah, it sort of in some ways reminded me of the the season opener, right? Because I think that he started off somewhat hot in that game, so it's not like a perfect analogy, but like the Knicks looked dead in the water at around the third quarter of that game and then managed to, you know, string together a comeback. And Randall was a big part of it. You know, obviously having, I think it was like 35 in the, the first game, that double overtime game. And, uh, you know, so similar vibes in this one, you know, he just kind of stuck it out and, and, you know, got the win for the Knicks. And I think that my biggest takeaway from this game is just the same as what it was in the last game, which is he needs to prioritize getting inside first and then worry about other stuff after, you know, so try to get inside, try to get, you know, a couple, a couple looks to go in and that's going to like, you know, allow him to build the confidence to start taking the jumpers and, you know, start getting into his office in the mid range and, you know, doing his thing there and hitting the open three pointers and stuff like that. And also like Stan Van Gundy made a pretty good point. You know, his best looks from three were the ones that were spot ups. You know, he took one was off like kind of a freak tap out rebound and he just kind of like took it, spotted up and took a three. And then the other one was off a feed uh, up to the top of the three point line for him. And he canned that one too. So, you know, I it, it just goes to show like Julius does good when he plays off of some of his teammates and, I think embracing that is going to be important for the stretch run of the season because I think that so far we've seen, you know, lately and, and throughout this whole season and throughout his whole Knicks career, to be completely honest, that a lot of times if he's if he has to do it all himself, it's it's going to be a rough night for you. You know, even when the Knicks had their best times last year, uh, a lot of it was due to the whole team playing well and everybody playing off each other, including Julius playing off of you know, RJ IQ, whoever happened to have it going that given night. Um, and the, the only guy that really couldn't get going without Julius ever was Bullock basically. But we've seen like Fournier has at least some capability of, of getting himself going and helping get Julius going. So, you know, there's, there's positive, a lot of positives to take out of this. The negative, I guess uh, we should get into, which is the whole, the whole thumbs down thing, which I don't even think is that huge of a negative. I mean, I, Maybe I, maybe it's just because I already went through this as a Mets fan this year, um, but the same exact thing happened to the Mets over the summer, and I just really don't care. Um, but I'll, I'll give the info anyway. Uh, so Julius Randle, after making one of his key buckets down the stretch, uh, could be seen on camera giving a thumbs down, and you couldn't quite tell where, but it looked kind of just like to the crowd in general. And so then uh, he got asked... So Fred Katz of, of The Athletic uh, tweeted this whole exchange, and it was between Bondi, uh, Stefan Bondi of the Daily News, and Julius Randle after the game. And it's a little unclear with the way that Fred wrote this, so I apologize in advance. I, I think I'll get all these correct with who was saying what. But So Bondi said, cameras caught you giving a thumbs down to the crowd. What was that about? 
Randall said, shut the F up, but not F. He said the real word, the naughty one. Uh, then <laughs> Bondi said, to whom? Like, to whom were you saying, shut the F up? And Randall, I guess, I guess this was Randall saying this, says, what, do, what are you talking about? To who? He just said, to who? And then Bondi said again, is it in response to something? And then Randall just said, you saw that. You saw what was going on with that. So, I don't know. It, the thing that went on with the Mets was that the Mets were getting booed for being a terrible team <laughs> last summer. <laughs> and the fans booed them because that's what New York fans do. If you suck, you're going to get booed. Sorry. You know, especially if there's expectations for you. If there's expectations, you're going to get booed as a New York player. So, players should come in expecting that with the New York experience. But also understand that the cheers are going to be louder than anywhere else in the country if you're playing well. And if you're at least trying. Right. So with the Mets, you know, it was a whole thing that Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez and a few other players started giving a thumbs down every time they would do something. So they would steal a base or, you know, hit a double, whatever. And instead of doing like a cool little celebration, they would just do like thumbs down to each other into the crowd, Um, which fine. If that's what it takes to motivate you, I don't care. I've seen a lot of people already kind of getting in a tizzy on Twitter and stuff being like, Oh, that's not fair. Julius Randle shouldn't be allowed to do that. Blah, blah, blah. Have some class. And I'm like, hey, man, I don't care. Like, he's allowed to give it back if he wants to. He can tell fans to shut the F up if he wants to. He's, he's not, you know, he's a human. And some people up in those up in those front, you know, row seats say some pretty heinous stuff sometimes. You know, they feel a little empowered by that seat there. Yeah. And, you know, there's some bad stuff gets said to players. And this isn't. I, I give props to uh, Matthew Miranda from uh, the Strickland and also has his own podcast called Believe in Knicks now as well. But Miranda put up on Twitter, like Patrick Ewing straight up said back in the 90s, like the Knicks fans annoy me. <laughs> Either come here, you know, and want to cheer for us or don't. But, you know, if you don't, like that's annoying to me. And that's fine. You know, you can feel that way as a player that the fans should cheer unconditionally. Fans feel like they're owed something by the players, that the players should try and they should win and blah, blah, blah. And so I think it's just a two-way street. I don't really see the issue, Gavin, but I don't know where, where do you stand on this whole, like, can Randall clap back at fans thing? No, I, I love it. I mean, come on. That's, yeah. that's New York sports. Like, like what, what is all of New York City? We're, we're like 8 million people stuffed into this really small space fueled by, like, conflict and insanity and, like, snapping back at each other. That's, that's like, what this is. I, I love that from Julius Randle. Yeah. Anything you need to get motivated and get fired. Like, you're down by 20 in a game. And like anyone who's ever played basketball, like knows the mental contrivances you will go to, to think somebody else screwed you over. Even when like the other, even when it's like the nicest dudes in the world on the other team, like I'm going to find a way to get angry, especially if my team is losing, like on the professional level, like I got to figure all the, like, I was just listening to an interview with Dwayne Wade saying like, yeah, it's like a completely different guy on the court. Like I just like, I bottled up all my anger in real life and like let it out there because there it was productive. And maybe that's the same thing for Randall. And like, he is like, maybe not specifically at Knicks fans, but he's good reason to be frustrated with everything that's happened this year. And I understand why after last season, he'd feel underappreciated. So yeah, let it out. Like whatever you need to do. Like, I don't, I don't care as long as he, he's playing hard. And he, again, for the most part played pretty hard in this game. So I have, yeah. I have zero, I have zero issue with it. Um, it's like the Kobe yeah. effect, right? Wasn't that something that Kobe used to always say too, that he would like straight up, almost like manufacture things about his opponents in his head, you know, yeah. just to like, well, Jordan, Jordan always did that. That was a and huge Jordan, Jordan said that. Too. Yeah, it's a motivational tactic, you know. Yeah. So normally it would be directed at another player or something. But, you know, if, if Julius uses it against – dude, who cares? You know, ultimately 
as fans, you're going to cheer no matter what. And if he tells you, you know, oh, you were booing five minutes ago, you don't get to cheer now, you just keep cheering. Who cares? And ultimately, he'll bask in it later on, you know. But if he wants to have, like, an adversarial relationship with the fans the rest of the year, then so be it. Like, I guess he's that's within his rights. He could do that if he wants. And honestly, I don't think fans will care as long as he's giving you crap all the time and he's winning, particularly on the garden floor where they've struggled so much. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm all about it, too. I think that, like you said, it, if nothing else, for this, this guy from Dallas, Texas, like, this is maybe one of the most New York things that he's done yet since becoming a Nick, you know, is, like, being like, hey, no, like, not screw me, screw you. Like, you know, don't, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me, you know, don't badmouth me. He'll get to say that and just stick it up for himself. I liked it. I was yeah. I was with it. All right, yeah, we're, we're on the same page. All right, real quick, uh, Emmanuel Quickly and Mitchell Robinson. Uh, I thought uh, underrated cogs in this victory. We, we can start off with Quickly. Statistically, a fantastic game, 16 points, three assists, two boards, a steal in 26 minutes. But I don't know about you, Alex. Like it was less about the specifics for me, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll mention a couple of plays here. But it was more about getting to see IQ in a close game, and and to me, that's that's what I want out of this next season, right? The young players in high leverage moments, and like let's see what you're made of. And he kept it together, and, and despite like he had similar to Randall, he had some down moments, but he also had some really really big ones down the stretch. I mean, I, I thought this was this was end of the third quarter, but that one dribble sidestep three hit, it was created by Randall. Um, this, this is another good Randall play that we didn't get to mention. It was Randall drawing a mismatch and then diving hard to the rim. Whoever was guarding quickly, like kind of leaned over to help on Randall. IQ leveraged it into an open three. That cut it to 12. That that felt like things were getting a little bit manageable. Then he had a crossover into like that, that hook, like and one hook. That was pretty dirty. Um, the handoff play from Taj where he hit that deep three, I think that's what cut it to two. It was 96-94 at that point, if I'm remembering correctly, where he he dribbled past Taj, gave it back to him, looped back around. Tatum didn't have a chance. And then the, the aforementioned floater. Again, it's just, it just these ballsy plays from Emmanuel quickly. And, and to me, the, the difference tonight for him between like other nights where he struggled, there was a little bit more focus there because we, we, he always has that energy. He always has that swagger, but it was channeled. I thought really, really precisely. And I think that's what Tom Thibodeau needed to see from quickly to justify playing him down the stretch. He said, Hey, I like, I love you, but you gotta, you gotta be smart out there. If I'm going to be, if you're going to be my point guard in this must win game. And I thought quickly was just that he was aggressive, but he was, he was aggressive in a very precise way. Mitchell Robinson also had some great hustle plays down the stretch Alex, but I'll I'll leave that to you to talk about. Yeah. I thought Mitch had sort of a similar game to RJ in the sense that I didn't think he had a great game up until the very end. I thought that he was really getting worked by Williams a lot. Like Mitch still has a pretty decent size advantage on, on Williams. And as we said recently, like I think that his conditioning and his sort of spring is coming back. So I was hoping to really see like a dominant performance from Mitch, but it's it's been a very rough year for those of us that a few years ago were like, oh, you think Robert Williams and Jared Allen are better than Mitchell Robinson or even in the same sentence, like, screw you guys, Mitch is way better. Not not great for those of us that were in that camp, but I, yeah, I agree. I think that he made some good plays down the stretch, especially, you know, getting free for that lob uh, from RJ, which obviously was a great look from RJ too, but was a great move by Mitch to, you know, be available for that. Um, and then, yeah, quickly, I, I loved what he did. I was really worried that today was going to be one of those days where he just has a super quick hook. Um, 
he kind of had it in the first half, which was disappointing because he got called for this absolute BS offensive foul uh, against Dennis Schroeder. They were like, like quickly started, you know, going down the court and, and kicked his arm out a little bit. And Schroeder had like the sell job of the century. Yeah. yeah. Like threw himself back. Like he just got shot and, uh, you know, acted like he just took one on the chin or whatever when he barely took any contact and got the foul call for it. And uh, that got quickly pulled, which kind of sucked. Um, I, he might not have gotten pulled that moment, but it was like within a minute of that that he then got out of the game, which was disappointing after not having a ton of time in the first half. So to see him get you know this this long run in the second half and be trusted down the stretch, and for it to be in a game where Fournier was also trusted down the stretch, which was interesting because normally it's sort of an either or proposition with those two. Like it's either you know, quickly is out there or Fournier is out there. Tibbs took out Alec Burks for once, which normally Burks is sort of his like ride or die. Like, I don't care if you're shooting one for a hundred, I'm going to keep you out there in the stretch run of a game because, you know, I just think that you're, you know, you're that good or whatever. Didn't do that this time around. It was, you know, he, he kept quickly out there with Fournier, with RJ, with Randall, with Mitch. I, I thought it was a great look for quick. And, you know, like you said, it's this season is, you know, it's about many things, hopefully about getting back to the playoffs and stuff. But the main thing is like, you got to start seeing what you have in these young kids and seeing which ones are going to be able to perform in these, these high pressure situations for when you're hopefully better than you are right now and better than you were last year. And quickly definitely is, you know, he's got the ice in his veins. He made, you know, a clutch three. He made that really clutch floater. I mean, he just he made so many great plays on defense as well. I just I think he's the real deal. Very happy to have uh, seen him, you know, have the game that he had. Uh, but Gavin, I'm trying to think: is there anyone else that you want to speak on before we sort of wrap things up here? Uh, I guess maybe our obligatory Taj Gibson shout out for hustling his butt off and providing a really good 21 minutes, uh, six points, four rebounds, three assists, and a steal, and about a million balls that he got to that he had no business getting to and couldn't quite hang on to long enough to get the rebound. But I, I really like Taj's effort in this game. Yeah. I wanted to just very quickly shout out just a couple of moments from Mitchell Robinson. I mean, that, that dive he had for the loose ball against Robert Williams, an underrated play that sort of maybe saved the game when he had the poke away on Schroeder the before RJ's mm. free throws, because the Celtics were going in to tie it. And, and I mean, even, even after that, I mean, Tatum ended up making the shot, obviously, but he, he, when he, when he came down the court and doubled Tatum, he had the wherewithal and the, and the coordination to knock it away from him. And Alec Burks, like, I mean, if the Knicks had lost this game, I, I would have gone back to this and said this might have been the key sequence of the game. Burks almost got to that ball. He just I don't think he expected Tatum to hit it. But if Burks had recovered it, we wouldn't have even needed the RJ shot, which God, God forbid, because obviously it, the Knicks needed the RJ shot for, for more reasons than just this game. Um, but I, I just wanted I wanted to shout that out for Mitch because it was for a guy who had so many issues with fouling early in his career, like very precise hustle plays down the stretch. And yeah, for Taj Gibson, all, all I'm going to say, and I feel bad taking a shot at Nerlens Noel, because man, he's had he's had a tough season with all the injuries now with with COVID that's seemingly lasting longer than it is for everyone else. Uh, get well soon, Nerlens. But I, I will say the version of Nerlens Noel we've gotten this year, I don't think the Knicks win the game with that guy. I think Taj Gibson, like if I, if I can sum up his impact in in like a sentence, that would be it. Like they they would not have won the game if Nerlens Noel had played the minutes that Taj Gibson played tonight. Like he just rock solid. And when when every other Nick is so inconsistent, 
that I think it gets underrated how valuable that is that you just, you literally know what he is going to bring every single night. And he is maybe the one guy on the roster. You can say that about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's why we all love Tosh to death. So uh, I think that's it though, for this episode of locked on Knicks. And we have, uh, I don't think another game recap coming up for the week, but we do have one more mailbag episode for you guys for the end of the week here. So keep your ears out for that tomorrow for your weekend and a little pregame listening uh, before Saturday's Celtics game. And uh, we'll be back with a recap of that game next week and some other great shows as usual. So uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow with that last part of the mailbag this week. But until next time, peace out. Talk to you all soon.